Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P, episode 48 underway. Brought back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Hey, what's poppin', Benny? What's poppin'? What's poppin'? We got a lot on the docket today. We're recording this on Wednesday night, November, what is this, 18th? 18th? Wednesday, November 18th. The the NBA draft uh, is underway right now, and we've gotten through the first few picks. I think they're in the middle of the first round as we're recording this. Um wanted to just kick off the podcast with a little bit of NBA draft reactions. Um, for myself, I ended up placing, we talked about in the last podcast, a couple bets. I ended up hitting on both of them. Anthony Edwards went first overall to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then LaMelo Ball, I had at getting picked um, later than the second pick. And sure enough, he went third to the Charlotte Hornets. Both fits pretty interesting, in my opinion. I thought that... Um, I thought Anthony Edwards was the most talented player in the draft. Physically, just talent-wise, I thought he was the better, the best player. Just he reminded me a little bit of like a poor man's James Harden. I mentioned on the last pod. Uh, I think like the floor for him is. I mean, honestly, he reminds me of a go figure. Another another Minnesota Timberwolves player um, that went awry and is now in Golden State, Andrew Wiggins. And mm. so that's the worst case night. That worst case scenario here for the Minnesota Timberwolves, where I mean, we saw a report earlier today where Anthony Edwards was talking to uh, reporters and this was just poor reflection of Edwards agent. Honestly, Edwards was talking about how he doesn't really like basketball. He's not really into it. And that he wanted to, if if he was drafted by the NFL, that he would just quit basketball today and play in the NFL because he likes the NFL culture better. Quote unquote. I mean, he was, he was saying like how they spike footballs and they have more personality for the players and stuff like that. What I was just like, I mean, it's debatable. We can, we can talk for hours about that kind of stuff or different league cultures. And, and I don't think there's another league where players have more right? empowerment than the NBA, honestly. Totally. And we're, we're going to talk about that. I have that in, my, in our notes to talk about that this podcast because there's a lot of that going on lately in the NBA. And I just found it super confusing. Uh, and it, it made me worried for my bet, honestly, because I was just like, is this literally going to be Andrew Wiggins 2.0 where you just got, you got a guy with all this kind of talent. He looks like the best player in the draft. And then, goes to the Timberwolves and he's just not motivated to improve. I'm like, I don't know. I'm hoping that's not the case. I think he's a talented player. Uh, I loved what I saw from him in a limited capacity at Georgia. Um, just because of this whole, the last college season was whole was totally just, I don't know. Basically. It's, it's tough to make anything out of the last yeah, year's exactly. college season. It was, it was definitely a mishmash of yeah. going ons and no one really stood out. He, he definitely was the the player that kind of jumped off the screen. Um, if you're watching any college basketball last year. <laughs> yeah. I, I pray Minnesota doesn't have another Wiggins on their hand, but I don't know. Let's hope for the best. I, 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 I want Minnesota to be frisky this season. I, I wish the best for Carl Anthony Towns, really just that this whole off season was just so heartbreaking with his mom passing and, and just so much going on with him and socially, like with, he was a big civil rights leader for the, the black lives matter movement in Minnesota. He was a big George Floyd uh, he he got really involved in the George Floyd protests when uh, it happened that that whole scene went down in his in his Minnesota hometown. Well, I don't I don't I don't think he's from Minnesota, but where he's where he's at now. And um, I don't know. I just I, I hope it works out. I hope we don't have another first first pick bust. Uh, but I mean, really, his history tells us that first picks are honestly overrated. I mean, there's really only been about eight players who have won. I think it's eight players who have won. Um, who were drafted first and then won a championship with the team that drafted them. And th- that list is like all Hall of Famers, like Tim Duncan, Hakeem Olajuwon, I think, uh, who else? David Robinson, Tim Duncan, did I mention? Um, yeah, there's some 
there, that list is incredible. Magic Johnson, like it, it's all, it's all just legendary hall of famers. And so you want to put Anthony Edwards on that list. I, I, it's a long way from it, you know, but we'll see. Yeah. This, this year is very different from last year where we had a clear number one, just like can't miss pick in Zion Williamson. And clearly he's performing well. And even just the top four were kind of mapped out. And these players were all guys we could see kind of being possibly number one on their team. Whereas this draft, I don't know. I don't really see any potential stars except for maybe LaMelo ball. And right. he also has the lowest floor of any of the top 10 picks too, because <laughs> of all the baggage that comes totally. along with drafting a ball brother. Totally. Yeah. Let's talk about LaMelo then because LaMelo went third to Charlotte. The fit is very interesting to me because he's going to put seats in when fans are allowed in to games, but he's going to put seats, butts in the seat um, in Charlotte. Because he, I mean, whether you like it or not, he's a tra- He's an attraction. He's gonna, he's gonna draw pe- in people's eyes, and people are gonna be looking at what Lamelo is gonna do in Charlotte. Interesting to see him go to the team owned by Michael Jordan. Sure, sure enough, Lavar Ball gotta be uh, regretting that. Uh, I'll be Jordan one on one call out a few years ago, man. I wonder. I, I'm, I'm praying we get that. I'm praying we get that as the American people. I want to see Michael Jordan v. Lavar Ball at what are they like fifty something years old each? I mean, come on, I want to see that. <laughs> oh, that would be a great like thing to have at the All Star Game, right? Never lost. That would be really fun. Never lost a game on one on one. Never lost. <laughs> I, yeah, Charlotte's gonna be. A city that's not going to draw a lot of players to most games, but you throw a guy like Lamelo in there, who's just a polarizing figure, and yeah. definitely going to bring bring fans to the stadium, or or at least fans <laughs> to the screen in a in a <laughs> pandemic world. So we don't know what next year's going to look like. We you know we have the um, the vaccine, so maybe we'll get some games in person. Yeah, um, but it was a great bet by you to have Lamelo outside of the top three, knowing that okay, the number one pick looked like Edwards the whole time, and then Golden State wasn't going to take Lamella ball. So the only worry is if golden state traded out of that spot, but coming, coming into the draft, it just, there weren't enough rumblings of trade rumors for golden state. It mm-hmm. seemed like they were happy enough going with a situational fit of just taking Wiseman, who's totally. an athletic big man. And he, he fits that roster construction and golden state's not going to take a winning culture and, and what is possibly a championship team next year if they have Steph and unfortunately Clay seems like he's injured, but if they have Clay for a playoff run, adding adding a factor in like Lamelo is going to be wild. So he goes to Charlotte, and it's going to be fun to watch next yeah. year. Devontae Graham was great for Charlotte last year. Probably should have been named the breakout. Was he? Been, I don't think he was the breakout player of the year last season. If if he if he didn't win it, he should have. Um, I don't know how Lamelo would fit alongside Terry Rozier there. So it feels like Charlotte might be a, ter- a Terry Rozier play, uh, trade away from r- rounding out their roster for the 2021 season, 2022 season. Um, but we'll see what happens there. I did, like you mentioned, Wiseman. I, I did like that pick actually for Golden State. I think Wiseman, he, he, he's, uh, I, I saw a lot of reports about his athleticism and his speed as uh, for a big man. So apparently he's like, the he, I saw someone make a statement about, they think Wiseman coming into the league is going to be literally the fastest big man in the league coming in as a rookie. So I, 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 obviously we haven't seen as much of him, even, even if the, with the limited college season, we didn't even see Wiseman play. I think he played one game with Memphis cause he left, right. He had that issue with the NCAA. He didn't even have yeah, playing. Right. He barely even played. 
Um, so we haven't really seen a lot of them. Just I'm just basing this off of hearsay, really. Um, but I honestly, I've seen him. I've seen a lot of highlights of him being able to shoot the three. So, I mean, he, he'll be able to have a catch and shoot uh, stroke, I'm sure, from the outside a little bit. Um, but really, the rim rolling and the athleticism is what must have attracted him to Golden State. Um, I think it's a good fit for them, honestly, because uh, they've been kind of searching for a, a, a big man to, to play alongside uh, or back up or play alongside Kevin Looney, who they rely on probably too heavily over the last couple of seasons. He's, he suffered a few injuries um, just because he, he's probably playing a bigger role than he should have been. And now Golden State, I mean, I, I we'll talk about it, but I pray Clay Thompson is able to play this season, honestly, with the lower leg injury uh, news coming out today. But uh, I, I just I think the fit was a good a good pick for them. So I like that one for them as well. Um, but what you did you the role that traditionally performs well on yeah, the uh, Golden exactly. State Warriors? You think of JaVale McGee, exactly. Harrison Barnes, some of these taller, more athletic, lanky big men. Of course, Draymond Green. You mentioned Kevin Looney. So, you know, a little bit of a height difference there. But these are guys who are able to finish at the rim. They do the, the athletic down and dirty stuff that um, that needs to be done to be able to open yeah. up the court for Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and to make sure that these guys are open and pick and rolls and things of that nature. So, yeah, I think this is a, a good fit, you know, out of a number two pick, you usually think of some really just high potential player, you know, John Morant, right. This guy could be the future of your organization. That's not what Wiseman is going to be on this Golden State Warriors team, at least not until Steph and Clay are out of the league, but he's going to be able to make an impact right away. Well said. Um, other guys that I did want to note in the draft, um, I loved the pick from the Detroit Pistons, the, the Killian Hayes player out of France. Um, obviously, like we, I'm, I'm basing all this stuff on hearsay, the things that I hear, and the people that I trust um, who I hear from. And I really trust Kevin O'Connor as an NBA insider with the ringer. Um, he never really seems to steer you wrong in terms of his opinions and, and his assessments of players. And from all accounts, he says that he thinks Killian Hayes could be the steal of this draft. Um, and he dropped all the way to Detroit, who kind of already has an intriguing core uh, with Blake Griffin and, and some pesky players. But uh, I just want Detroit to be fun again, you know, and uh, we'll see it, it, how he does in Detroit. I hope that's a good fit for him there. Um, another guy that I did like coming into the draft was uh, the guy from the, the forward out of USC, Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, had the foot injury news come out earlier today with the toe. I think it dropped him probably at least a couple slots in the draft lines. He went six to uh, Atlanta. Um, but when he heals up, I like that pick a lot. He reminds me a little of Bam Adebayo, honestly. He's, I think he's like 6'9", six, 6'10", six, but he's got like a 7'2", seven, 7'1", seven, wingspan, I think. So he's lanky with the arms and uh, kind of a modern player in the NBA, I think. He'll, he'll fit in. He'll, he'll be able to uh, be a, a physical forward for them. Um, in Atlanta, I think Atlanta's putting together a decent core of pl- young players here. Um, hopefully, they, they could uh, start to have some turnaround and, and, and be frisky in the in the East for uh, years to come for in the NBA. Yeah, the Killian Hayes pick is interesting. Um, I think it's a, a guy we don't know too much about. We haven't seen him play. He's coming out of France. And he, he came into a more developed team than, say, LaMelo Ball. And I think Australia Certainly. was yeah. where he was playing. And LaMelo was kind of just handed the keys to the car. Um, in, in 
uh, Killian Hayes uh, situation, he was coming in and he wasn't just handed the ball on every play and expected to score. That's why you see more depressed stats. So definitely we don't know what he can do fully, um, but he seems to have some of the right tools to develop into a good NBA player. Um, one question I have is, can he develop that three point shot? This is something Ben and I talked about before hopping onto the podcast right now. He's shooting 27% in the past two years in France. Um, but as you Ben Ben uh, mentioned that free throw percentage is more predictive and he's at 84% there. So maybe there's potential for him to take his form beyond the three point arc in the NBA. And we've seen a lot of players over the past few years, be able to develop that range. And so a shot is certainly one of the, one of those things that you can develop. It's not an intangible. And it seems like this guy has the intangibles already. So maybe he could, he could be the best pick in the draft. Well said. All right, let's move on to a little bit of more NBA topics. Um, Want to talk a little bit about what the what the hell is going on in Houston right now? I mean, this James Harden situation is all anybody could talk about besides the NBA draft. Um, it's just incredibly curious to see. Um, really feels like James Harden is more than more than I've ever seen before taking advantage of this player empowerment movement we're seeing in the NBA more than any superstar I've, I could think of, honestly. I mean, we've seen like Paul George, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, um, a little bit of LeBron James and a little bit with the Celtics, maybe back in like 08 with the Garnett Pearson and Ray, Ray Allen combination. But I mean, I think we're hitting the pinnacle at this point of player empowerment and this trend we're seeing in the league. Yeah. I would argue Davis like. might be a little worse just because it was mid-season when he decided to take a break, you know, so that's kind Quite of a possibly, slap to yeah. all of his teammates. But yeah, James Harden is extremely impactful as a player for him to be I mean, how do you doing feel this type if of you're, thing. How do you feel if you're like PJ Tucker, who's grinded with this dude in the trenches for years now, came so close in 2017, with uh, 2018 against the uh, Golden State Warriors when they had the Chris Paul injury in the Western Conference final kind of cost them that one how i don't know how you can look at your teammate james harden in the eye and be like i want to play with you now like mm -hmm. if it if, if harden stays on houston which it seems like it's a good possibility that's going to be the case that they hold on to them at least uh to start the season and maybe trade him mid-season possibly but i mean houston has him under contract for two more seasons there's no rush for them to move this guy besides the fact that he says he doesn't want to play for them basically and I, it just seems like he's really taking advantage of this superstars having so much power in the league. And it, it seems like honestly in the next CBA negotiations that owners and, and the league may address this trend of player empowerment because players are, are testing the waters with this man. They're really, they're really testing it. I mean, the patience of these owners and the teams like at this point it's getting tested. And you wonder how frustrated they all must be because it's not a good look for Houston. They, if they were going to trade James Harden, James, the fact that James Harden made it public to, to say that he wanted to go to Brooklyn and only Brooklyn, basically. Uh, I know Philadelphia is kind of, right? I mean, that kills the trade market. They have no leverage. They have zero leverage. What are you going to get for a guy when you know all he wants to go to is Brooklyn? What are you going right. to get for him? Because even, if, you, even if, a, if, if a different team were, were to trade for him, he, he's probably just going to leave that team in two years after the contract's up that he's under. Uh, it makes it's it's a baffling and unprecedented situation, really. For, I mean, I mean, he was offered the fifty the fifty million dollar a year contract. I think he turned down two years, one hundred and five six million dollar extension. The report was. I mean, 
it totally tips the scale in in the favor of the Nets in terms of trying to trade for Harden. And additionally, you think about the Rockets, the position that Harden has put the team in. He, he's mainly responsible for a lot of the reasons uh, that they've had failures over the past couple of years. You know, yeah. they got really close to Chris Paul, but they both decided they didn't want to play with each other. He recruited Russell Westbrook to this team. Russell and him oh, totally. were not a good pair and they, and they totally flamed out in the playoffs. James Harden's not come through in the playoffs in, in big moments. And he, he's only shown that he could be successful during the regular season. Additionally, this whole entire roster was constructed around him to play his specific brand of basketball that is so mm-hmm. unique that no other team plays this brand of basketball in the league. Yeah. He literally does everything for this team. He's they made him ball centric and dominant. Yeah. They made so him. He, they literally made him and they fit this roster around him. And then now he's just going to hold this team hostage and dip on the team. And now it's not like they can rebuild. They can't yeah. recoup assets. They, yeah. It's a and really have, tough position. Their whole team is screwed for the next, I mean, next few handful of years because they traded basically all their assets. They're, they have no draft capital. They have no young assets. Like they're stuck. They're backed into a corner because of James Harden and James Harden should, and I mean, we could say all you want about the culture in Houston. I don't really, I don't know it personally, obviously being as an outsider, I do hear reports about how they don't love how the owner supports Donald Trump. That could be a big part of it, honestly. Um, But the fact that James Harden went to Houston and turned into basically the best offensive player in the NBA's history, almost, I mean, that's the up to debate, but I mean, the stats show James Harden has put up some of the best offensive numbers ever over the last few years and they it's not necessarily i'm not going to knock him as a talent he's a talented player but the reason why the numbers are there is because houston steered into this they knew james harden was a decent was a was a, a very good offensive player and they steered their whole team scheme to help him the, the whole offense flowed through him. He dribbled the ball every, basically up the court every time. I mean, like he was, he was their team for the last dozen, I mean, not dozen, um, few years. And the fact that he's just doing them dirty like this, it's just, I mean, the reason why they're stuck with Westbrook, even that's the whole Westbrook situation. You said it's, it's his fault too. I mean, they could have had Chris Paul who just fetched a good, a good trade package for, uh, for OKC. He, they got a lot of picks and, and a couple good players, from uh, the Bucks, I mean, sorry, the, the Suns, and um, I don't know. Oh, I mean, OKC is doing a great job with Sam Presti is doing a great job with the tr- lo- unloading those assets. But I mean, Houston, man, just backed it to such a, a, a terrible corner here. There's definitely like an inflation rate factor to playing in Houston for James Harden. It's kind of like being a hitter, a lefty in Yankee Stadium or yeah, playing or, in Coors, or playing Field, Coors Field, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Yeah, so you, you kind of have to discount whatever Harden is doing by 25%. It's almost like taking the US dollar and converting it to euros, right? <laughs> so I love it. For 40 points on the Rockets is kind of like 30 points on the Celtics. So you have to take 75% of whatever Harden's doing and that's what you can expect on a different team yeah one thing to know i mean if if harden goes to brooklyn i i have no idea what what they would look like as a basketball team I, it would be a spectacle because they would have three guys with a combined usage rate last season or, or durant the season before of over a hundred percent that if you add up all the usage rates Kyrie, durant and harden it's over a hundred percent is no one else going to touch the ball on that team Oh my God. I mean, well, if they do trade for Harden, will they have anybody else on that team? Too? I know, right? I know. So true. I mean, they're talking about basically unloading their entire roster to just roll with Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. 
But I mean, and in that instance, I don't know who would take a step back because that always happens when, when you have these trios of superstars, there's always one guy that has to take a step back. And those guys are all three, all three of them are such alphas that I don't know how that would work chemistry wise, because as Durant is Kevin Durant really going to be the guy that takes a step back out of that trio. I mean, if I'm the Nets, I don't want that, but that seems no, like I think that he's might the be the case of the trio. Yeah. He, he, he seems like, I mean, I mean, coming off the Achilles injury, obviously we don't know what, what percentage uh, healthy or what percentage he's going to be back to what his old self is. Um, but it, I don't know. It's, 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 something to think about because I mean, how those three would co-mingle is it's very confusing in terms of how that would work out from a basketball sense. It's how quickly do you think Kevin Durant gets pissed off and wants to leave the nets? If he has to play every game with Kyrie Irving and James Harden, are you kidding me? Yeah. It it was a unique and special situation to have Steph clay and Katie because those guys were all so unselfish, including, you know, Steph and Such Clay. great passers and the way they move the ball around the wing. That's not going to happen with Harden and Kyrie. No. They both love the Harden and Kyrie are two of like the worst off ball movement players in the league. So they need the ball in their hands. So I don't, I don't know how that's going to work. I don't think yeah, it works well. I don't know. I don't think it works well. Yeah. It, I mean, and then if they made that trade, it's championship or bust. So. Bust seems likely to me. Um, another note in the NBA we could touch on quickly. Uh, Drew Holiday to the Bucks, intriguing trade to me. Um, really just proves that Milwaukee is trying to push the chips all in. I mean, the thing that is kind of baffling is like, is there no under the table agreement with Giannis yet? Because they pushed all their chips in. They have nothing left. If Giannis leaves after this season, they are screwed. They're screwed. They're going to be a shitty team for like, the next five years and they have no assets going forward if they don't re-sign Giannis and they're they're really banking on Giannis coming back I mean if their fingers are just crossed and like they're hoping that Giannis comes back that's not the smartest strategy to me I mean I don't know I don't they 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 really push the chips all in so it's really championship or bust here for for Milwaukee going to 2020 uh, the next season but I really don't know that they did enough. And then the Bogdan Bogdanovich, the Boyan Bogdanovich trade with the the Kings sounds like it's falling through. Um, I, I saw Woj report he is going to go to restricted free agency instead of uh, resigning with the uh, the Kings. So it was going to be like a sign and trade, I believe, with the Kings over to Milwaukee. And it sounds like Bogdanovich might not want to go to Milwaukee. Um, so I don't know about that. I, I kind of did like the acquisition of Bogdanovich to Milwaukee. I thought it was a decent fit there, um, but. I, it's just it, Milwaukee. It, it's it seems like they're desperate. It seemed like a desperate move to move Drew Holiday for to acquire Drew Holiday, who I would consider maybe a top thirty player, top thirty five player, maybe in the NBA right now. And you basically unloaded the Paul George package for him, and to the Paul George that Clippers sent over to OKC last year. And I don't know that Drew Holiday is worth it. And we'll see if it works out for Milwaukee for their, for their, for their sake. I mean, they're going to need it to, because they don't really have much going forward if they, if they don't get Giannis back in, back in Milwaukee after the season. Yeah. One thing I'd like to say about Drew Holiday is he's just a very consistent player. Mm-hmm. He's a 16 and six guy in his career, but last year he was like 21, 22 and eight, depending on how you want to cut the season up. Um, 
but the advanced metrics guys love him. I mean, this guy is a, is a positive plus minus on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And he's going to be able to lock down a lot of athletic players on the other team that I don't think Eric Bledsoe or Chris Middleton would have been able to. So I think it's a really nice addition from that perspective. And if they were to have Bogdan, um, I think it's it's Bogdan, it, right? Not is Boyan. it Bogdan or Boyan? I don't. I, I think I it's Bogdan. Literally, literally, I think that uh, like it, if you uh, ask somebody from like Serbia what that name is, it's like it, I think it's like JoJo or something like that. It's literally like the most basic, like simple name, like mm-hmm. the most generic white, like just like plain name of, of you could possibly have. But go ahead. <laughs> I watched him um, in uh, in a Celtics game last year. I went to uh, the Celtics game and uh, I saw him and, and Buddy Heald uh, play for Sacramento. Th- those guys really looked good together in terms of having buddy just be able to spot up and shoot. And then Bogdan was kind of running all over the court and creating, making plays. He, he's a very, um, I don't know. I would like to use this word on, on the show frisky player. Uh, he's kind of always up in, in guys play and yeah. setting picks, moving around, getting, getting movement, mm-hmm. going off ball. Yeah. They and can so really use you. If you, if you have that type of energy combined with Giannis, who, who's the, mo- the most physically imposing player in the league. And then you, you add, a really strong steady player and steadying presence in Drew Holiday that they did not have an Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe was one of the largest variance players you could have. You know, Definitely. you never you really never knew know. what you're gonna get from him. Exactly. Then I think you really do have a steady path through the playoffs. But the East is really strong this year. And you're absolutely right. If they don't keep Giannis, this team falls out of the playoff picture. So you really have to hope that they have kind of an understanding with Giannis that we're going to get a long-term deal, long-term yeah. deal I done think, for this. To be I worth think it. They, they, I mean, you know, they've at least talked to him about it and it's, it, if they wouldn't make this move, if they didn't think they were at least the favorites to re-sign him, if they didn't think that it's likely that he comes back, they wouldn't make this move. And so we'll see what happens. Um, but for, for Milwaukee's sake, they're going to need, they're going to need all, all the help they could get behind uh, around Giannis. And uh, Bogdanovich would be a good addition for them. He, he's kind of like Bill Simmons mentioned this on his podcast this week. He's like, Bogdanovich is like that international player where he's playing. I think he's from Serbia. If he, um, if he's playing the U S and Bogdanovich hits like two threes in a row and then he hits a third three in a row, you're like, Oh my God, like do not let this guy get hot. Like he's the kind of guy that just could, he's just like, a, he's a heat check guy. He could just get real hot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's the kind of guy that could put up like 35 points against you on a given night. Who's just like, man, where did this guy come from? You know, he could look like the right. best player on the court every once in a while. So he'll, he'll average mid teens, but he has that potential to yeah, exactly. have splash he games. Kind of, he's kind of just like that guy who, um, flies under the radar and then we'll have this game where it's like, oh man, where did this come from? You know, so I think one of the, the best trades I might have seen so far was the Lakers adding Dennis Schroeder and yeah. being able to have that steadiness in case they, they're not able to get Rondo back for another year and to have that moving forward with Davis and LeBron for the next couple of years, I think will make a, a really good trio for them. Yeah, the Schroeder trade was was pretty nice. I was honestly a little jealous of it um, as a Clippers fan, um, but I, I'm praying the Clippers don't sign Rondo. Honestly, I don't want to. I don't want a Laker retread. I don't want that toxic chemistry that he brings usually with the, into the locker room. That Lakers team. I don't know how they were able to keep their heads on straight last year with all the personalities they had. Yeah, it's, it's honestly it's the LeBron, LeBron effect. And um, everyone's willing to bow down to LeBron, but I don't think we know Paul George isn't go, isn't the type of player to rise up to the moment. We saw that in uh, in the bubble this year. And saw that back to well, going back to Indiana. Honestly. Absolutely, and, and then Kawhi is is a much more lead by example, very quiet, not loud spoken type of player. Whereas Rondo is is very expressive. So I'm not sure if that's the right combination you yeah. want to have. If Pat Beverly was on the same team as Rajon Rondo, 
Those two seem like they would fight like every night on the court. Oh you know? my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, um, the Schroeder pick with the Lakers, I mean, the Schroeder, the Schroeder trade with the Lakers, I thought that was a good acquisition. I didn't love the fact that they had to give up Danny Green. I honestly would have rather given up Kyle Kuzma if I was the Lakers. I think Danny Green fits what they what their scheme is a little bit better. Uh, he, he shoots three very well, obviously, and he plays good defense. And so I thought Danny Green was a better fit for the Lakers, but they held on to Kuzma and um, Green actually got traded to the Sixers today too. So he's been moving around the league. Sixers got, got to offload Al Horford, Al Horford. if I'm correct too, yeah. which I think is, is pretty nice for, for them to be able to yeah, do Maury, that. I think more, more is already making working, some more moves. Yeah. Working the magic already in Philly. So uh, they got to be optimistic over there. One last note with the NBA before we move on from this, uh, just pray, prayers up to Clay Thompson. I heard uh, we we mentioned it a little bit earlier. Has the lower leg injury? Sounds like it might be an ankle problem. Um, they said he couldn't put weight on it uh, when he injured it on on the court today. Couldn't put weight on it when he was leaving, and uh, really just heartbreaking. He's one of the best players, most likable players, really in the NBA almost. And you just really wish that guy the best. And and, and he missed all last season with the torn a- ACL. Um, the news is that. The, the new injury is to the opposite leg of his last ACL injury. Um, so you really just wish him the best and, and pray that, I mean, that, that's just a miserable occurrence, man. You're just coming back from a full season out um, from the ACL injury and then possibly uh, another, another severe injury to his lower leg on the opposite side. I guess there is some small glimmer of good news is that, you know, it's not a re-injury of what was last year, a devastating injury Certainly. for him. So hopefully that means it's a shorter timetable for him. We, we love to watch Clay and, and Steph on the court. It's something <laughs> magical. So we hope that, you know, we have another opportunity to do it next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if he misses any amount of significant time, if he misses the season, basically any, anybody who has, who holds a premature 2021, 2022 Warriors championship ticket, they could basically just rip it up now. <laughs> you know, you don't think Wiggins is going to be able to carry him to the ship? Oh yeah, dude. Andrew Wiggins. Oh my God. Dude, that guy is, uh, the biggest, the biggest enigma at the NBA, honestly, just, he, I, he disappears from games. But all right, let's uh, can we talk a little bit about baseball? To another guy a who's baseball news come out today. from games next year. Oh, totally, totally. Oh my god, dude. The, another, another just weird story coming out today. Robinson Cano tested positive for a second time for performance enhancing drugs, getting a full season suspension for the New York Mets. Really, this guy is so likable, and it's it's hard to accept the fact that he's cheating and, and he's. Uh, it, 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 it's so conflicting for me because I liked him and he was like the only Yankee when he was with the Yankees, he was the only Yankee that I kind of liked. And because his swing is so sweet. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. Earlier, uh, a few weeks ago, I was listening to him on the Russell Wilson podcast. Dang- I think it's uh, dangerous talk with, with Russell Wilson. He had, Ken Griffey, <laughs> he had, he had Ken Griffey Jr. On the podcast and he goes, who's your favorite swing in the ML- MLB right now? And he said, Robinson Cano and Cody Bellinger. And Cano's just one of those guys that you, you root for, regardless of what team he's on, honestly. It's something about that sweet lefty swing, too. Yeah. You know, the, the Griffey, Bellinger. Yeah. But we can, now, we can now say, basically, we could cross his name off of any Hall of Fame any, any Hall of Fame list. He's not making the Hall at this point. This guy, he's, you could put him in the box with Manny Ramirez and, and Alex Rodriguez. Those guys are just getting blackballed for the, uh, the performance dancing drug scandals that they they each were involved in you know and so 
I don't know. It's just, it's a bad look for him. It's a bad look for the sport of baseball. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing his statement on, on this thing because I, is, I don't know that I'm going to, I'm an accepting a sort of justification for the fact that he cheated a, a second time. And I'm, I'm interested to see what he has to say about it. I, I still like to consider the type of cheating. So you go back to the the Mark McGuire type of cheating where these guys were just sh- shooting up steroids and getting huge. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't sound like that was the case here. No, yeah. So he tested positive for this drug called Stan, Stanozol. I can't pronounce it. Stanozol. Something like that. Stanozol. And, and, yeah. And it's it, apparently it's an oral drug. So it's a pill. And um, it's something that apparently is used actually a lot in, hor- in uh, U.S. horse racing for horses. Um, it's illegal in horse racing too, by the way. Um, but it's, it's an, uh, apparently it's an anti-inflammatory drug used, uh, to treat a disorder called hereditary, uh, uh, angioedema, um, where somebody with it gets severe attacks of swelling and it's apparently it's a hereditary, uh, disorder. And I mean, it makes kind of sense that he would be taking a, a steroid to address anti-inflammatories because he had a groin injury, I believe, last season. He's had a few different lower leg injuries, like hamstrings and groins, over the last few years. He's he, he's an old he's an older player in the MLB at this point. I'm sure he's got a lot of aches and pains, and you know, it's not it's not far fetched to think a guy like this would need some sort of help, you know, to to get back onto the field. And it's a shame because he had a great season last year when he played. And um, really just you wonder how much of the steroids had an impact on that. But I don't know. It's it's a shame that we're missing out on another Hall of Famer right here because that's a guy that would have made it. He would have made the Hall of Fame if he if he didn't get caught doing these things. And so it's a shame to see. And uh, it's not a good look for the game. And hopefully that Cano can, can learn from this and hopefully – he uh, is able to rectify at least a little bit from uh, just the public eye. I mean, A-Rod did such a great job coming out and and just admitting guilt and being very remorseful for it. And now he's just really beloved, honestly, as a Fox sports analyst. And maybe, I mean, Cano is not going to be an analyst on all likelihood. But the fact, <laughs> I think it's the partly because he's dating J-Lo too. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Um, but I mean, Cano's just, he, he's the public opinion of him he cannot be good at this point, you know? And so he's got a lot of work to do to kind of regain the hearts of, of baseball fans and, and New York Mets fans, honestly, because he's doing the Mets dirty going into the season. They honestly had a lot of holes in their offense that they were looking to address. Um, they were, I know they were, they're in the biddings for, I think George Springer and, and GJT Real Muto. Um, and now they're going so to need, now they're going to need a second baseman. Right? Yes. Yeah. He's gonna, he, full season. This is wow. the only, I think this is the, this is the only big name that I've seen miss a full season. I, I think there's been some minor leaguers that I've had to miss full seasons for second suspensions for PD um, testing positive for PDs. But A-Rod was the first guy that I remember being a big name, getting test positive and having a full season suspension and uh, now Cano. So <laughs> uh, it, it makes me sad to, to, to see it, but you know, it's uh it's the nature of the sport. Honestly, just guys honestly trying to always get that edge and and get that small marginal victory um and you know it, it's just kind of what's unfortunately been part of baseball over the last dec- few decades it's too bad because what we know is that there are so many different ways to treat your body without using steroids totally. in, in order to address medical Especially recovery today. yeah and i think the player that we're going to highlight in the next game, he he's a guy who spends millions of dollars on his recovery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we so. mentioned, yeah, we, let's talk about a little bit of football. We, uh, 
I mentioned Russell Wilson at his podcast. He's got a, a big game coming up tomorrow, Thursday night against the Arizona Cardinals. Dan- dangerous Wilson, dude. He, uh, you mentioned on the Simmons podcast, he, sp- he spends what, like $1.5 million on his body, like every year or something like that. I think LeBron's right around that ballpark. Really just fascinating to see these athletes just commit, you know, full, full heartedly to their craft and perfecting it. And Wilson's one of those guys. And, I think he said he had multiple hyperbaric chambers. Like yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So this game, uh, Arizona and Seattle, really a, a great matchup here. Uh, a NFC West matchup. We saw them face off in Week Seven. Arizona got the overtime victory, thirty-seven to thirty-four, um, in that one. And remember, if, if you remember that game right, it was an incredibly exciting game and back and forth all all game. Arizona came back for, uh, from a 10 point fourth quarter deficit to force the overtime and then won it on the field goal um, in overtime. And we're going to see uh, a little bit. Of, we're going to see another rematch here. And I'm, I'm curious if we're going to see a Russell Wilson revenge game. What's your take on this one here uh, on Thursday night? What we have here is two teams going in completely different directions. You know, we, we have the Cardinals and Kyler Murray who, who's been playing out of this world and they're coming off of a huge Hail Mary victory against the Bills. And on the other hand, Seattle's got a couple losses um, where Russell Wilson's looked very fallible. He's, he's having a lot of turnovers. And so I, the momentum is certainly on the Cardinals side and mm-hmm. I like them to carry that momentum. If, if they're the underdogs here mm-hmm. um, with three points, I think this is Kyler Murray's chance to say, Russ, you're not the MVP this year. It's me. I'm, I'm playing yeah. better. I'm playing better than Lamar Jackson was playing last year in when he won the MVP. And I think they can really cement themselves as a top 10 team as well. And, and a Super Bowl contender, if they're able to play and beat the Seahawks yet again. Yeah, the biggest X factor here for me, honestly, in this game is going to be whether or not the Seattle Seahawks can run the football well against Arizona. Uh, Carlos Hyde is supposed to be uh, coming back from his, I think he had a groin injury. Looks like Chris Carson is going to be out again with the foot injury. Um, last time this happened was go figure where Carlos Hyde was the lead back was go figure against the uh, the Cardinals in week seven. Carson had to leave that game early with the foot injury he's still nursing. And uh, Hyde went on to have a decent game in that one. It was his best game of the season. He, he's missed a lot of games uh, with his, with injuries of his own this season. But he had a decent game against Arizona back in week seven. Uh, I believe he ran for like 68 yards and a touchdown or something like that. I think he had like 14 fantasy points. And um, I don't – my my thoughts here is there's a lot to weigh with this one. There's honestly – the, the matchup is so intriguing because Seattle's defense, we talk about every week, is so bad, like historically bad. They're, uh, they've allowed 3,100 yards on, on, on passing. They've, they're, they're, their defense has allowed the most passing yards this season, 3,180 yards. The second most is the Falcons. And the drop-off is to – the Falcons have allowed 2,793 yards. <laughs> I was That's just going to big... say some teams this year won't even give up on the entire season. What the Seahawks have already given up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. This pass defense is just horrendous. And so Kyler should continue to cook. Like you mentioned, he's the, he's gotta be one of the MVP favorites at this point. Um, the only thing with Kyler is um, I think he's a little bit matchup reliant in terms of passing. I do think mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of his uh, he's been average to above average in passing. Uh, this season, he's he's 
I think like seventh in uh, passing yards this year. And he's really compensating with the way he's effectively ran the ball. He's running the ball so well. He's running the ball better than Lamar did last season. So that's really what his MVP case is based around the fact that he's been basically the best, one of the best runners in the NFL this season. And, um, it, it's that's gonna, what makes him so unique. I yeah. mean, you think about say say you take Jared Goff, who we think is is an average to above average quarterback, but there are plenty of games where he just doesn't have it throwing the ball, and he doesn't have his legs to turn to. Now, Kyler this year, there have been games you're absolutely right where he hasn't had it as a passer. I think he he had a couple of games where he was like around a hundred yards total passing. But then he completely has this other thing that he can do that very few quarterbacks in the league can do. And none of the other quarterbacks in the league can do it as well as he can. And that's run the ball. And he's affecting the game on the ground more than most running backs in the league right now do. Yeah. Arizona is a very scary team, but honestly, in this one, I mean, I know it seems like we're all, I'm pointing all the way to Arizona in this one, but honestly, I'm I'm leaning Seattle in this one. And I, I'm, I'm fearful of picking it just because both teams are are so unique and and effective in, in their different in their different ways um but I, I fear i'm very fearful of the seattle revenge game here and the fact that seattle and russell wilson have their backs against the wall more so than any any at any point this season coming off the tough loss against los angeles last week that was a grind of a game for them and a really physical one i watched a lot of that one and um honestly last week the cardinals were really lucky to pull that one out against Buffalo. And so they may be getting a little bit of a, a too big of a boost because the Cardinals defense was pretty awful last week. I mean, the bills had that one and it really just took a miraculous play the the hail Murray at the end, you know? So that play was like incredible. That. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to discount their, their win last week. That was incredible. But the, uh, the hail Murray was just, uh, it, it bailed them out. It bailed them out because they, they were going to lose that one. And they went from 8% win, pro, win, win probability to 99% when, when Hopkins caught that ball. So it, it was a drastic change of, in one play. And the Cardinals were on the verge of coming into this one really uh, looking up to Seattle in the NFC West rankings. And now I believe they're tied, right? I think they're tied in the NFC West. Um, but this this game, it feels like another... 37 34 possible matchup honestly these two teams i mean russell's gonna cook himself i mean he's arizona they're giving up a a lot of a lot on the the ground and they're giving up a a respectable amount on the pass in the pass side uh buda baker and patrick peterson uh for arizona aren't are usually susceptible to the big plays um they're yielding the ninth lowest yards per attempt, 6.4 yards um, this season. Uh, and the Cardinals are yielding a respectable 232 passing yards uh, per road game. So they typically do an above average job of keeping plays in front of them. But I think Russell Wilson's going to look to take the top off their defense with, I mean, Lockett caught 15 catches, 200 yards and three touchdowns in their last matchup. I mean, if, if they shut down DK Metcalf, like the Rams did last week, look for Lockett to have another big game, but I don't know how the Cardinals can keep Metcalf at bay uh, a second time in this season. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but honestly, the biggest X factor for me is that running game for Seattle, whether or not they're able to hold the ball long enough to keep Kyler Murray and the Arizona offense sidelined for more than half the game. Because if Kyler has the ball for over 30 minutes, they're going to score 30 points. So if, if Seattle, if Seattle's going to have to keep up with them on the offensive side, because that defense is not going to be able to hold them. You're absolutely right. This game's going to come down to the run game for Seattle. Without it the past couple of weeks, 
teams have been able to hone in on that passing game and, and it's really had an impact on Russell. They're sitting back and they're able to scheme up ways to get interceptions and, and cause turnovers because yeah. there is no threat with yeah. DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I mean, these guys are going like 13 for 30 on the ground. So it's, it's just going to be a, a punt previously if they ran the ball, whereas Hyde was, has been effective in his career. And, you know, we know Chris Carson's a great running back, but Carson likely not to play. So the question is, does Hyde get in this game? If there's no Hyde, would you feel more confident being in, in on the Cardinals? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cause I, the Seattle rushing game, I mean, even last week they were actually reasonably effective against the Rams, but like you said, it's because the Rams were sitting back looking for the pass. And so they weren't going to let the, the, the Seahawks beat them with the, with the deep throws and the passing. And that was the great strategy, honestly, because they were fine giving up three to four yard gains on the run each time, but they weren't going to let Russell Wilson take the top off their defense in any big plays. And so, I mean, uh, one thing to note, I mean, on the Rams side, Darius Williams would had an outstanding game last week for the Rams. And I loved, I just, I, I, I loved what I saw out of him for the Rams last week. He made that great interception against um, Russ. And he, when he, he dove to the sideline and he, he, I think it was Greg Olson. He was looking for, he basically covered like five feet of ground in half a second by diving and got his hands on that one. That was a beautiful interception. And then he had the great bat down against Tyler Lockett at the end of the game uh, in the back of the end zone. So towards the end of the game in the back of the end zone. So that was a great play, but um I do want to note though, Seattle's Seattle's defense. If Jamal Adams stays uh, on the field, I know he he kind of reaggravated his groin injury again last week, but he, got, he came back into the game. Man, Jamal Adams looked like a man on the on a mission last week. I mean, literally the only effective Seattle defensive player last week. He was he was blitzing a lot. They were sending him into the backfield, and he was disrupting. He was the only one that was able to really disrupt Goff, and I think he forced a fumble once, and he looked really, really good. And for his sake, um, he's going to need to keep it up because I feel for him. He's doing everything he possibly can for the Seahawks. And so if Seattle could just get any sign of life out of their defense, they'd be one of the Super Bowl favorites right now. And I I have no confidence in that defense, which is the only reason why I'm not – I'm not picking them to to win the NFC West, honestly. So we'll see what happens, though. All right, next game. Let's roll. Let's keep it rolling into Sunday. We got the uh, the first game we got here on our list: Tennessee at Baltimore. Baltimore's favored by six and a half points. To about I've seen it at minus six as well, uh, but I think most books have it at minus six and a half. Both teams coming off really tough losses here. Uh, Tennessee against the Colts last week. Baltimore against New England in a uh, muddy and just incredibly terrible weather game against new England on Monday night. They both coming off bad losses here before we get into it. Let me just tell you, I love Baltimore in this matchup. Let me get into it. But do you have any thoughts on this one before, before I, before I talk about this? No, I'm, I'm reading the show notes and I think you have a really good breakdown. You, you covered this okay. one well, so I'll, I'll let you take it from the top down. <laughs> so, so Baltimore's they're sixth. Uh, they're right now they're sixth in DVO rankings and the the Colts were ranked fourth, and last week the Colts limited the Tennessee offense to just 17 points. So there's not much of a drop off from defense here, uh, from Baltimore. To, I mean, from Indianapolis to Baltimore. So Tennessee's offense still has their work cut out for them this week. So if if they're not, if they the Tennessee offense was pretty stifled last week against 
the the Colts. Colts clearly made it an effort to to stifle Derrick Henry. He he had a human game. Go figure. I mean, that guy's an animal. Yeah. And both uh, Derrick Henry and AJ Brown looked very human in all season long. They've they've looked superhuman. So th- there's definitely something to be said about uh, the yeah. Colts defense. Or you're saying maybe it's a little bit more the Tennessee offense isn't as great as we thought it was. It's possible. That's very possible. But really, my handicap here is the reason why I love Baltimore is because I'm excited for their offense to have a good comeback game in this one. I think we're going to see a, a Lamar MVP-esque performance out of him. And if if we don't, if Lamar and the Ravens don't score about like 30 to 31 points in this one, I'm officially going to press the panic button on Baltimore for the season because Tennessee's defense is terrible. They're ranked 24th in DVOA right now coming to this matchup, and they've allowed the seventh most, most passing yards on the season. So Lamar should be able to throw the ball and run the ball. And the only teams that have allowed uh, more passing yards than Tennessee are like, they're all bad teams. I mean, obviously we talked about Seattle being the worst uh, passing defense in it. If you take away Seattle, I think the other teams are like the Falcons, the Panthers, the Jets, uh, got a bunch of mediocre to below average teams that are allowing the uh, more passing yards than Tennessee. So Tennessee's defense is terrible. And the, the Baltimore Ravens should be able to move the ball well against this defense. And if Ravens don't score a lot of points and if Lamar doesn't cook in this one, I'm very panicked and I'm, I'm not betting on that. So I'm thinking Baltimore's offense is going to score a lot of points. I think their the Tennessee def, Tennessee offense is going to have a much more difficult time against that Baltimore defense. Yeah, I think you you have a, a really good analysis here on this game. Um, and one thing I want to mention is that the Titans in October lost Taylor Lewan, who was their left tackle, yes. to a torn ACL for the season. And I was just looking at the game logs for Derrick Henry. And up until that point, he was kind of setting the league on fire in terms of touchdowns and, mm-hmm. and his yards per carry. He had that 200-yard game. Um, and then Luan goes down the next week. And I'm looking at his yardage totals, and, and they're very standard for a running back. We have 20 yeah. for 75, 18 for 112, 21 for 68, and 19 for 103. Those aren't really to my ears. Eric Henry numbers. Those yeah. are more Damian Harris numbers. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. And he only had a touchdown in one of those games, uh, or two of the games, two out of the four, whereas he's usually like a two or three touchdown a game yeah. type of running back. Yeah. So I think that definitely had a huge impact. Yeah. Um, the question is, are the Ravens' defensive line healthy enough to take advantage of the injuries on Tennessee's offensive yeah. line? Which is which is also hampered Ryan Tannehill's production the past few weeks as well. Certainly, I love that. I love that analysis. Um, really, if you want to look back at last week's matchups a little bit and base uh, your opinions a little bit on on from last week's affecting this week's performances, Baltimore's game against New England has to be taken with a little bit of. Uh, like you, you can't knock Baltimore too much for that loss against New England. I know New England's looked so bad for a good amount of time now this season, and um, they they stuck it to Baltimore in a what was just a really physical and messy and sloppy and mucky game on Monday night. It seemed like Bill Belichick was controlling the weather like he was the rain man or something, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it all sort of poured down horribly as soon yeah, as Lamar takes it for the right? last drive. It's insane. Incredible. I mean, literally, Belichick turned the turned the rain off when the game got over. I mean, I saw a picture on Twitter 
literally like minutes after the game was over, the weather was cleared up and there was no rain coming down. I mean, it's, it's eerie the way that Bill Belichick just, and the same thing happened. He's, it's a, he has a history of this. He, he does that. New England plays really well in rainy conditions. Like Belichick, does, there's a stories about Belichick preparing his team for rainy weather where he soaks balls in water before the game, like before uh, weekly, like in the pre-week practices, he'll soak balls in water. They practice outdoors on purpose and like snowy and, and windy conditions so that they could prepare for these things. And so they deflate balls. Yeah. These, <laughs> not, not deflate balls, but <laughs> the, the Patriots were the, were more prepared for the weather and it just, you could see that Baltimore was trying to make an effort coming into the game to pass the ball more because Lamar before that matchup was kind of saying that how his offense felt really predictable and how he was going to the line and it felt like the defenses knew what they were saying and what they were calling. And you could see early on that Lamar wanted to throw the ball well against New England. And, And so we kind of mentioned that last week where it seemed like Baltimore was trying different things to try to win a different way than they already had been establishing this season and it didn't work out for them. And I think a lot of it had to be blamed on the conditions and the weather conditions. The the ball was just too slick for them to really do what they were trying to do um, for their, clearly their game plan wasn't, wasn't going to work for the way that they were trying to go about winning that football game. Um, But on the opposite side of the football, Tennessee looked awful against the Colts on Thursday night. And um, the, if the, if, so the offense, I thought, had a lot of bad luck against the Colts defense. They they did have, a, a, I think, a, a one or two turnover on downs, fourth, missed fourth down conversions, I believe. I think there was an interception or two. But really, the, the takeaway for me from that Colts game was that the fact that Tennessee made Phil Rivers look like vintage Phil Rivers. If, if Phil Rivers gonna, is going to look like that against uh, Tennessee's defense, what's Lamar Jackson going to look like? You know, so give me give me a lot of Baltimore's offense here. Um, in this one, I like I like Lamar and Baltimore's offense to get back on track here, um, because really there's been a lot of talk about how uh, ineffective they've been this year, and I think this is going to be a breakout game for them. Yeah, I think it could be a get get right game, and uh, the Ravens also might be getting Clayus Campbell back for their D line, which could obviously he's an amazing player, um, probably a top ten D lineman when healthy. So if he's able to play Sunday, I really like the Baltimore side of this. Uh, uh, spread definitely all right next game uh let's touch let's just quickly touch base on a couple of these games detroit at carolina um carolinas are currently uh in the books that are showing this matchup uh carolinas favored by a point and a half so the lane a point and a half um but a lot of books don't have this open yet uh because of the bridgewater mcl sprain uh seems unlikely to play honestly bridgewater apparently um but i honestly i kind of like pj walker um as the backup in carolina we mentioned we, you and I have talked about it a little bit through text. PJ Walker was really entertaining in the AFL. Uh, what the uh, what was the uh, the league called? Is the XFL? AFL? XFL. Uh, he was the he was the MVP of the XFL when they were playing, and he was he played for the Houston Rough Riders, and he was he. I didn't watch all the XFL games. I watched only maybe a handful of them, but I watched uh, Houston play. I think at least two or three games I saw of theirs, and PJ Walker was really entertaining. Very very quick able to run the ball well and then he had an accurate arm maybe not the maybe not the strongest arm maybe not able to throw the ball super deep um but he was very accurate and he he could do things with his feet so don't sleep on pj walker having a decent game in this one if you're desperate for a fantasy quarterback he i mean he could have a decent game in this one honestly because detroit's defense is awful 
Yeah, there, there's no Christian McCaffrey in this one too. So with with those two guys being out, if the, if you're able to place it at, at Carolina minus one and a half, I, I'm going to go with Detroit. Um, but I I don't think that's where it's going to be on most sports books if if they do end up having a line. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Other game we want to talk about briefly, Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. Not too much to say here. Clearly, Pittsburgh is the better team coming into this one. Pittsburgh, honestly, might be the most well-rounded team in the NFL this year. They're able to win football games in just so many different ways. It seems like every time they win, it's it's a different – it doesn't look the same every week. Like, they, they win in different ways, and I think that's super important this season because of the fact that you're getting different players playing each game with COVID and you're getting a lot of injuries. And the fact that they're able to just kind of give you different looks every week is super important to me because – because maybe sometimes they're not the prettiest wins, but you know, they're eight, they're eight, you know, or yeah, eight or nine, you know, nine, you know, after nine that Cincinnati know. win last week. And uh, look, P- Pittsburgh minus 10 is a tough spread. I think Jacksonville's offense actually looked decent last week again against Green Bay. Uh, it might be the fact that Green Bay's defense is kind of average to below average, but um, Pittsburgh should win this one. Uh, don't, don't, don't get, don't don't get uh, risky and try to take a Jacksonville money line parlay or something. Get think you're lucky or something like that. It's not going to be worth it. Pittsburgh's got to got to take this one. We we thought Cincinnati, who who was decently frisky, and Joe Joey Burrow had come off a nice win at Tennessee, and we're like, okay, maybe maybe Cincinnati covers. And Pittsburgh slapped the crap out of them last yeah. week. They dominated them in every phase of the game. And you know, Pittsburgh some some weeks they went on the ground, some weeks they went dirty, some weeks they went with a backup quarterback. One game it's Deontay Johnson with two touchdowns. Another game it's Juju or Claypool. I mean, this team is so well rounded and is so well coached, and they have the the best continuity in terms of a starting Certainly. quarterback and a head coach. I mean, they, are they your Super Bowl favorites? You still have the For Chiefs. Me, I yeah. mean, they, they got to be right there. It's so close, honestly. Uh, did you see the uh, the signing for the Chiefs today? They signed um, uh, former Giants cornerback def- DeAndre Baker to the practice squad. Um, DeAndre Baker was a, a first round pick for the Giants, and he um, was convicted of some sort of like armed robbery or something like that, and he was absolved of all of his crimes. So probably arrested, yeah. not convicted. Yeah, sorry, arrested. He was he was uh, exonerated from charges related to an alleged armed robbery after a bizarre turn of affairs that saw his accusers' lawyers indicted. So his lawyers actually the, the accusers' lawyers got indicted for this, and so he got absolved of all crimes. And sure, so it, it kind of absolved him from his uh, his bad look in the NFL. So he was able to kind of rejoin the league. And sure, sure enough, he's going to That's a crazy yeah. story. So this guy is now back on. He, he went from the Giants to the Chiefs now, and he's uh, apparently a very talented player. So I thought that was super interesting, kind of similar in the same vein as their acquisition of Le'Veon Bell, where they're just kind of acquiring talented players. And so it, the Chiefs are got to be, a, uh, a, again, they're the number one most power rankings. The Steelers are right there with them, too. So I'm really hoping we get an AFC championship of the Chiefs versus the Steelers. Yeah, and getting back to the Steelers, uh, I I would take them minus nine or ten in this game. I I think they win by double digits pretty, it's, pretty it's, handily. You're probably right, but it's a tough spread, the t- ten points. And Jacksonville's offense has been adequate. Um, Luton actually looks kind of decent. I mean, he's throwing he throws the he's ball. Got a big well. arm. Yeah, he got a big arm. Um, so we'll, he certainly we'll was an upgrade for Chark. Yeah, he was for fantasy perspective. He was. Um, let's go to the next one. New England at Houston. New England's favored by. Uh, Two and a half to one and a half points here. I've seen it. I've seen this line move a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming it's going to probably land around two, two to two and a half. Honestly, on this one, the, the biggest X factor is New, New England's health. They had 13 players 
uh, with a limited practice today on Wednesday. They had 13 players and 13 key players. I mean, they have like Stefan Gilmore, Lawrence Guy, Jawan Bentley. They have um, they have a lot of guys that are questionable and possibly will play, possibly won't play. We'll see what happens. Honestly, I'm not going to bet this one until uh, if and when New England puts out their their final injury reports. I want I, I want Gilmore and I want Guy and I want Bentley playing for their defense because if if they don't play, I don't know how they'll be able to keep Houston's offense at bay. Their defense has been pretty below average over the last few weeks. They made the Jets look great on Monday night two weeks ago, and the Jets are probably I mean easily the worst offense in the NFL. So. Um, if if they if they continue to sit out, if these key players continue to sit out, I don't like New England in this one because I think Houston will will just put up however many points they need to if to win this game. Um, but if if New England is able to bring back a, a decent amount of their players, if you're able to get some health back, uh, I think this is an ideal setting for the. Um, I mean, sorry, uh, I think this is a, a good matchup for them because. If they're able to keep Houston's offense at bay, I think their New England's offense kind of found a little bit of an identity last week against Baltimore. Um, Damian Harris looked great, and Houston's rushing defense is is not good, so they'll continue to run the ball really well against Houston. If um, I mean, it, I mean, they actually have a few offensive linemen possibly coming back too. So, if that's the case, it, it, uh, the arrows all point to New England. But again, the health is going to be the biggest X factor. Yeah, I love uh, Damian Harris having a big game this week. That sounds great for our fantasy matchup, Ben. Let's uh, <laughs> go on one-on-one. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. New England's probably one of the most unpredictable teams this year, and they've really gone the way of Cam Newton. In the beginning of the season, Cam was letting the world on fire, throwing for 400 yards against Seattle, and they were playing very competitive games with very good teams, looking at you know the Dolphins, the Seahawks. And then you have games where there are just huge letdowns, including – barely beating the Jets, who we widely regard as the worst team in the league. But then they come back and they beat Lamar Jackson in, in the Baltimore Ravens. So yeah. I really don't know what to make of this team. I think it might be a factor of honestly Cam Newton getting healthier and moving far farther away from his COVID infection because You're if you track right. his performance, it directly correlates with with his COVID and then coming back from it, it's kind of been a, a slow increase from that Bills game through the Jets and then the Ravens. So maybe he's back to healthy, maybe not. But I, I kind of want to watch the Patriots for a couple of more weeks before mm. I decide to, you know, choose a side in their matchups, especially game against Houston, who who's also a team that's kind of up and down. I'm wondering if they'll have David Johnson back for this game. Um, Duke Johnson wasn't effective on the ground. He's kind of a smaller back. So I, I'm not convinced that they'll be able to move the ball too effectively if the Patriots are healthy on defense. So one thing to monitor as well as the Pats, Pats yeah. health, as you mentioned. Yeah. I've seen too many people just accept that the Patriots are, have saved their season and are, and are trying to make a comeback. I've seen too many people think that I'm just like, dude, last week was such the most ideal setting for them. I mean, like we said, they literally practice for that shit. Like they practice bad weather. Like that's their, that's their forte, you know, and that played right into their hands and the matchup could not have been more perfect for them last week against Baltimore without that crazy wind and rain. So um, that was perfect for them this week. They're going to be playing in the dome in Houston. So the thing is with, with new England, they own Houston. Belichick has owned Houston over the last few years. Um, I mean, really his whole tenure with New England. So that's one thing to eyeball. But really, for me, it's the health for New England. So if they're healthy, I honestly would bet this game. Um, but you're right. It's New England's super unpredictable. We don't really know what we're going to see out of Cam Newton. So um, there's there's risk involved with that for sure. All right, let's go to the next matchup. 
Uh, we could touch on this briefly. I, I like your little note here. Philadelphia at Cleveland. Cleveland's favored by three points. Um, why don't you take the lead here? Because I like your little analysis you got here. Yeah, we kind of had high hopes for Carson Wentz last week coming back against the Giants with getting pieces like Rager healthy and, and Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders. We thought that offense could really take a step up. You know, Travis Fulgham had been playing really well. So you kind of have this healthy offensive suite and ideal situation for the Eagles to play well against a bad team in the New York Giants. And they kind of crap the bed. Uh, they lost 27-17. The Giants look like the better team the whole time. Uh, their defense played really well. And- look, the Giants can't be shortchanged, though. They're they're getting better. They're get, they've gotten better yeah. as, as the season's gone along. They're one of the few teams that more practice seems to be definitely helping them. But, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time is I think a lot of insights can be drawn from the performance so far of the Eagles. And in, in I think we can say that, okay – they're real, we were holding out hope that they might be something and could take over this this division. And last week really showed that even when healthy, they're not a very good team. So you you bring in the Browns now with Miles Garrett, and I think they're going to be able to create a lot of pressure for Carson yeah. Wentz. Um, I, he broke his streak of turnovers against the Giants. He actually didn't have one, and I think he had five or six straight games with a turnover. Yeah. So I, I like him to start a new streak coming this <laughs> week. And, and I like Cleveland with the two-headed monster of Chubb and Hunt healthy both of whom went over a hundred yards last week. And now they get a a decent matchup against the Eagles, which I don't think can really um, rip the ball off the screen and and score a lot of points. So yeah, give me, give me the Browns. Yeah. I like the, I like the handicap and I like the fact that uh, I'm with you and, and thinking that Wentz and the Eagles are going to be making some, having some turnovers in this one, because honestly, that's the key for me. If, if, Philadelphia can hold on to the ball if they don't turn it over. I honestly like them in this one because the Miles Sanders has been playing well when he plays. I think he's averaging like 80 yards when he play, 80 yards on the ground when he plays. Um, I know he's missed a lot of games, but and then the fact that Jalen Rager looked pretty good in his first game back back last week. Dallas Goddard coming back, uh, getting healthier each each week. Um, there there are signs of improvement in Philadelphia. They're somewhat they're getting healthier is the point. Uh, but you're right. Uh, I, I don't think that they're going to be able to hold on to the ball. I think Wentz is going to get pressured by Miles Garrett and the rest of that front four for the Cleveland Browns. I, I think he's going to throw some interceptions, uh, interception or two at least, maybe a fumble or something out of out of Philadelphia's um, offense. But uh, I'm not banking on on them holding on to the football or securing it. But if they do, they could they could put all pull out a win in this one. But again, I'm not banking on it. All right, let's go on to the next one. Atlanta at New Orleans. This is a very intriguing matchup, an NFC South battle. These two teams have a lot of great matchups in their history. Falcons have won three of their last four coming into this one ever since Raheem Morris took over for Dan Quinn. Falcons have been a new team. They've been playing pretty well, and a lot of people are moving them up in their power rankings. The Saints are coming off of two really big wins against the Bucks last, I mean, two weeks ago, the Niners last week. They were looking like the best team in the NFC, but Drew Brees has the... Uh, what four or five broken ribs and a collapsed lung sounds really, I mean, <laughs> that injury sounds brutal, but the injury complicates things because we're going to see, we're going to see James back behind center for, for yeah, the, it all depends on how you count ribs. So, you know, you have your rib cage on both sides of your body. Apparently he broke three on one side and two on the other. Jesus. So if you consider like one rib going all the way across your body, he's at like, you know, 2.5 <laughs> ribs broken. But if you consider both sides as separate oh, ribs, then you I got five imagine. total. And, I can't and imagine and how painful. A punctured lung too. 
I think I sent this in a group chat. I was like, you know what? Thank God he's not on the Chargers. <laughs> I mean, you can imagine having that medical team treating a uh, broken ribs in a, in a punctured right. lung. I know. I saw a joke about uh, we could talk about the Chargers in a little bit in their game, but Justin Herbert got a haircut, and uh, I saw a joke about on Twitter. The guy was like, he he let one of the trainers cut his hair, and he's like, I, <laughs> after the news with Lamar Jackson, I don't know how he would let a, a Chargers trainer near his head with scissors. But <laughs> that was hilarious. But go ahead. Yeah, Chargers trainer cuts off uh, Herbert's ears before <laughs> matchup, forced to miss game. Tyrod Taylor starting quarterback. <laughs> What are your I, I what, like, what are your thoughts on Winston for this matchup? I think Winston is definitely a boost for Michael Thomas and Jared Cook. I think they're going to air the ball out a little bit more, um, but I also think it's going to be very controlled. And so you're going to go to the targets you trust, and that's not the secondary receivers that Breeze spreads the ball out to. Breeze has has that built up rapport with those guys. It's something that Jameis doesn't have. And we, we've historically seen in the past that Jameis loves to lock on to top targets in an mm-hmm. offense. So I think this is a game where we could see 15 Michael Thomas targets. I also think we see heavy reliance once again on Alvin Kamara, uh, who between him and Dalvin Cook is one of the best running yeah. backs in the league this year. So give me some Michael Thomas. Give me Kamara. I don't know if I'm on New Orleans, though, because minus five with a backup quarterback is a pretty heavy line. And Atlanta's playing better. Certainly. Yeah. So for me, it's more of a stay away. We don't know what Jameis can do. Again, I don't like betting on things that are unpredictable. And Jameis Winston's might be the most unpredictable quarterback in the league in terms of the ceiling he has, but also the floor last year having 33 touchdowns and also 30 interceptions. Yeah. Um, I went back and looked at Jameis Winston's matchups against the Falcons last year when he was starting for the Buccaneers. Um, He played them twice last season, week 17 for the Buccaneers. They lost to the Atlanta Falcons 22 to 28. Um, And then in week 12, they beat the Falcons in uh, 35 to 22. So he's one, he was one on one against the Falcons last year. Um, But this coming into this game, I'd argue that he probably has less to play with um, in this Saints offense than did last year. I mean, he had, Chris Godwin and Mike and Mike Evans last year going off for him each, each week. And he had a lot of weapons to throw to it, but really, like you said, I think we could be in store for a big vintage Michael Thomas game here. Um, I, I think James Winston could unlock some of his uh, Michael Thomas's woes early on in this season. And I think we could be fantasy owners could be getting the first round Michael Thomas that they picked um, in their fantasy drafts this year. And um, one thing to note though, um, honestly for this uh, James is facing a, a uh, somewhat of a difficult pass rush. And so I think Atlanta's going to probably try to blitz a decent amount on this one because Atlanta's pass, r- pass rush is actually pretty decent. They have 40 QB knockdowns, which is second in the league behind the New York Giants. And so we, I know I mentioned the Giants are frisky this year. Atlanta's pass rush is not bad. So they're second in the league in QB knockdowns and they're 10th in hurry percentage at 10.7%. So that's nothing to scoff at. So uh, Winston's going to have to get rid of the ball and we'll see how that affects the game too. Like you said, though, this is a stay away for me because I want to see if, if we're going to be, still be seeing 2019 Jameis Winston taking too many risks, making bad decisions, staring down receivers, you know, making, turning the ball over and taking too many risks. And I, honestly, if I had to bet, I'm leaning Atlanta, uh, but I'm, just, I'm, I'm hesitant to put money against possibly the best team in the NFC. So it's a matter of whether or not Jameis can keep the machine rolling in New, for New Orleans because the, the team, New Orleans as a team, has looked really good this season. They could possibly be the best team in the NFC, but like you said, it, it's just too unpredictable with Jameis. So I'm, I'm going to stay away from a gambling perspective on this one. 
Let's go to the next matchup. Cincinnati at Washington. Washington uh, is favored by a point to two points here. Uh, kind of a sneaker of a game, honestly. Cincinnati looked pretty bad last week against Pittsburgh. Washington with Alex Smith coming. I mean, Alex Smith is a story of, of Washington's season that probably going to get the com- comeback player of the year award named after him. Uh, but Washington is just looked pretty, pretty abysmal the last few weeks. And I, I, uh, I Chase Young has kind of looked mediocre the last couple of weeks. Hasn't really been able to get to the the pass rush that he was able, able to early on. And uh, honestly, I lean Cincinnati in this one, but I don't really have much handicapping because these two teams are, are not ones that I'm, I'm looking to watch. Yeah. They, I thought? think that's a fair assessment. Uh, if I had to lean, I would go towards Washington because we have seen some better performance from Alex Smith and we know the potential that this defense does have. Whereas I think Cincinnati's defense is just really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey Burrow is playing really good. And I love Joe Burrow in games where they're not facing a top team on the other side of the ball. The, the two huge losses being Baltimore and Pittsburgh. He, he has covered. So yeah. this, I, I think you're right that at minus one to minus two, that there's not too much of an advantage either way here. And so I don't think there is very much strong handicapping. If I had to lean, I'd probably lean Washington. I do think Alex Smith is an upgrade at quarterback between Kyle Allen and and Dwayne Haskins. Quite possibly. Um, Antonio Gibson looks really good. J.D. McKissick is getting too many targets, though, and his usage rate is way too high. He's not an an efficient player. I'd much rather see a lot more of those targets going to Terry McLaurin. So I think he actually slows down the offense with the dump-offs to McKissick. I'd rather see Gibson getting dump-offs. I think that's an Alex Smith product, honestly. He needs the running back. He needs the blanket, the safety blanket for him. Um but yeah, you're right. McKissick's not more talented than a lot of the weapons that they already have on this offense. Yeah. So you're right. But he, he, I think he's like the third most targeted player over the last three weeks or something like that. So um, he's going to, I mean, he has a role on that offense. Yeah. For fantasy perspective, if you're in a PPR league, yeah, he's fine. But standard now is yardage uh, totals are very low. If Cincinnati's able to get a couple splash plays, maybe to T. Higgins, then I, I could see them pulling this game off as well. We know they're the more explosive team. If Joe Mixon is playing, I think that's a huge boost. They've been without him, and Gio Bernard's not the between the tackles guy. And the Bengals really uh, love to start with, with Mixon, that running back. He, he's dual talented. And if they can get the running game going, then it opens up the passing game through play action for them. So that, that's going to be a big factor too. So you have to monitor the health of a couple of these guys in this game. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on the weather in this one. It looks like we're going to uh, see a possibility of rain on Sunday in Washington. Um not the highest possibility yet, but keep an eye on this one because it is an outdoor stadium in Washington at FedEx Field. So um, keep an eye on the weather because the, <laughs> we have not been doing that enough, honestly. I, we try to keep an eye on that. And it's it's really difficult. I mean, that New England-Baltimore game, like we said, just that weather was very unpredictable and it came, seemed like it came out of nowhere and uh, really mm-hmm. had an impact on the game. So keep an eye on that. That's a thing that, we, that we've seen as a learning experience for both of us this year is if you're looking to – choose between an over or under make sure you check the weather like 15 minutes before game time check the latest forecast and see if a storm is rolling through because we've seen the games be wild wildly impacted by wind and rain if you if i remember the the cleveland and uh raiders game did you see that video of cleveland last week oh my god cleveland they got Houston delayed, last week they got delayed yeah. 30 minutes and did you see the video of the, the fans up in, in the upper deck it was literally so like a can, tornado if you see that weather and you in 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 the books are still open and you can hit the under do it like it's a great opportunity to make some money because they're they're assuming 
better weather when they're setting the line at the beginning of the week. They don't know the forecast as well. So that's an advantage as better as that we can have. All right. I like that. Let's roll on to the next one. The New York Jets at the Los Angeles Chargers in LA. The Chargers are favored by eight and a half points. This is my best bet of the week, I believe. Uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to consider this my best bet. The Chargers at minus eight and a half. Um, here's my handicap here. The Jets have lost all nine games this year by an average margin of 16.33 points. The Chargers have an implied point total on this one of 27 and a half with this line of uh, minus eight and a half. I believe the over-under is like 46 or so, um, 44 maybe. I can't remember what it was. Um, but the they have an implied point total of 27 and a half with this line. And if even if they don't score that, I don't have the confidence in the Jets reaching their implied point, to, point total of 19. Um, the Jets are averaging 13.44 points a game this season um, and before they hung 27 on new England two weeks ago where the Pats defense looked incredibly terrible and porous against uh, the jets on Monday night, the jets were averaging bef- uh, through their first eight games, 11.75 points per game. So in contrast, the chargers offense is averaging 25.11 points per game. So if you, if you don't think that the chargers are going to score just two and a half points more um, against this terrible jets team, I think you're, I think you're crazy. Um, I mean, and plus, like we said, Herbert cut his hair. So he watched that the Chargers stink off of them and they're two and seven and they, had, they needed some sort of change up. And so um, I, I mentioned to you via text earlier this week, um, there was a study that I heard about on the RJ Bell dream preview podcast, where I think it was a college like Illinois or Iowa or something like that. They had this study where they were examining wind probability. And because I know a lot of the, the sharks and, and the analytical guys really like that wind probability stat. And so I know it's flawed but it's a, it's a decent stat. And um, they were studying the wind probability added in the fourth quarter and the chargers record right now is two and four. And in this study, they were examining the fourth quarter and basically where each team was at um, at each point in the game by wind probability. And they were waiting the final five minutes, like four times what the original, the first five minutes of the fourth quarter was. And then the middle five minutes were waited two times. So it was like, it was a a one to two to four times uh, each five minute increment. And they were basically examining what the wind probability added should reflect it to the team's win loss record. And it basically kind of tells you which teams are getting the most unlucky and which teams are getting the most lucky. And I don't remember all the specifics of the study in terms of which team was, was where. Um, and I couldn't find it, honestly. I think it's, a, a it's, it's gotta be some sort of research paper that RJ Bell was talking about, but what I remember was the chargers at two and seven were the most unlucky team. They had, they, they had a two and seven record. And I think they had uh, like over three or almost three wins that they should have had more. And um, they had the biggest disparity between the actual and the projected win totals. And so, I mean, like on the other spectrum, I think uh, like the giants uh, or sorry, the giants are one of those teams that should have more wins than they, uh, they do have. I think on the other spectrum, like Pittsburgh's up there. Um, I think I can't remember the other teams that were on the other side, but I know Pittsburgh was one of them. And um, I don't know. It just kind of was a decent study to show like basically how lucky and unlucky these teams are. And it, it showed, it showed, it concluded basically what we, our eyes tell us and that the Chargers have been blowing a lot of fourth quarter leads and um, against the Jets. I don't think the Jets are going to be able to come back from a, a 10 to 17 point deficit in the fourth quarter. So give me all the Chargers stock you, 
you can this week. I'm taking a minus eight and a half against a very awful New York Jets. I don't care if they're coming off of a bye. They can't game plan against this LA Chargers matchup. Yeah, you're right on point. Every single game they've lost has been by single digits. So they're definitely going to keep it close. They should win their 2-7 and seven record compared to the 0-9 record of the Jets. You would think that the line would be a lot closer because these these presumably would be two really bad teams. But if you take the study in, into effect, you're saying, okay, this team really could be 5-4, and 6-3. And, and so when, when you have that instead, that's why you see the line so high. And realistically, if they were 6-3 and three playing the Jets, the line would probably be even higher. It would probably be in the double digits. So I think you are getting a little bit of an advantage in the fact that the Chargers have been so unlucky. So are you thinking uh, this might be your best bet? Yeah, I laid 50 bucks on this line already. I like it. Um, I think the Chargers run away with this one. And look, it's about, it's about the time the Chargers got rewarded for some of their decent play. I mean, they play well. Herbert's looked great as a, as a rookie. And um, their offense deserves more than they've been getting out of their defense. And so hopefully Anthony Lynn, I don't have any confidence in Anthony Lynn as a coach. Um, clearly just seems better, more fit as a coordinator than a head coach, honestly. Um but we'll we'll see what happens here. I, I I just don't think that any sort of coaching woe is gonna help the the Jets here. I mean, the Jets have their own coaching problems with Adam Gase, and so they're not. It's not like they're coming off of a bye, ready to just you know come up with the perfect game plan to beat this LA Chargers team. So I, I really just I'm I'm hitting the I'm hitting the like button on the Chargers big time here this week. All right, let's go to the next matchup: Green Bay at Indianapolis. The 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 uh, the Packers versus the Colts. This is a great matchup here. Very uh, very good. Two two good teams. Both of them probably in our top eight or top ten or top twelve or some some people's rankings um, for power rankings. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to this game. I think uh, the Colts are favored right now by up to up to two and a half points. I've seen from range from a point and a half to two and a half points. Um, I think honestly in this one, Green Bay may be getting downgraded too much for their performance against Jacksonville. Uh, last week, I know they looked they looked vulnerable against Jacksonville last week. We were able to just squeak out the win, twenty four twenty. I think the score was. Um, but honestly, that game last week against Jacksonville seemed like it, the Green Bay got a lot of bad luck. They had the the punt return for a touchdown with Keelan Cole. Uh, the punter kind of just outkicked his coverage a little bit. I know that's kind of a cop out excuse for punters. Um, but the, 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 they they got lucky on the pun return. The, the Keelan Cole didn't really get touched on that one. And then uh, Devontae Adams had a very uncharacteristic fumble on Jacksonville side of the field, and that led to a touchdown for the for the Jaguars as well. So I think that those instances made this game a lot closer than it actually was. And uh, and Green Bay's offense is still ranked second in DVOA rankings, and they're 16th in defense, so their defense is right around average. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people think that the Colts offense can stifle. I mean, the Colts defense can stifle uh, Green Bay's offense, but I think Green Bay is going to be able to keep it rolling in this one. I, I lean Green Bay plus plus. Uh, I got them at plus two and a half. I laid a bet on it already. Which is that? Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. When, when we see a line with with that like between zero and three range. Vegas doesn't totally know what to do with it. They're giving a, a couple of points there to the home team, which is Indianapolis. And yeah. like we've mentioned this year, 
the home field advantage is very minimal. So when we kind of have more of a toss up game, I like to take the underdog and I yeah. also like to look at the quarterback. That's something we've mentioned on that podcast. And I think, I think that Aaron Rodgers is a, is a lot more reliable than Philip Rivers. Um, certainly more talented as well. So I, I look to, to ha- see the green Bay cover. And I think they win this game. Honestly, I might just take whatever I can get um, in terms of a boost on the money line. Yeah. And um, I, I was trying to look it up. We, we mentioned earlier this season that the, uh, the road, the road underdogs have been doing really well this year. So um, the road underdogs this season have been against the spread 82 and 65 hitting on 55.8% of the against the spread picks. So uh, the trends are pointing towards the green Bay Packers here. Cause honestly, I have them a little bit higher on my power rankings. And if you're going to give me a, a point, uh, if you're gonna be two and a half points at which I got them at, um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that pick. I think they have a good chance of taking this one, especially when we think there's a better team. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's roll into the next matchup. The Dallas Cowboys against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are favored by seven points, laying the touchdown to Dallas. Um, what's your thoughts in this one? Because I don't know how I feel about Dallas. Let me hear what you think. <laughs> My thoughts are start your Vikings, every single one of them. This Dallas defense is bad. This Dallas offense is bad. This is a team that is, that's getting blown out. I don't care whether they have Andy Dalton or not. This is a really bad team and only seven well, points. Are we and... sure Dalton's the better quarterback? Is, is no, he, I mean, Gilbert declared, looks better, have, honestly. Have they declared so. that he's starting? Right. I think he will be the quarterback if he's healthy, but this Dallas defense is horrible, and the Vikings offense with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook all rolling, all three of them played really well on Monday night against Chicago, and yes. I think they, they're able to move this momentum forward. Da- Dalvin Cook has 954 rushing yards and 12 rushing touchdowns on the season. It's just incredible to have that at this point. He, he's averaging over 100 yards per game and, and multiple touchdowns just on the ground, and he's a really good pass catcher too, and, and he's got close to double-digit passing or receiving touchdowns. So between him and Kamara, you almost need one of them in your DraftKings lineup, like, or, or Kyler Murray to have really that, that safe upside potential. Cause those three guys are the safest bets in, in fantasy football this year too. I, I love the Vikings. I was on them against Chicago that paid off well on Monday night. That was my best bet of the week. And I'm on them again. They're really hot right now. This team started off one and five and I, they're, mm-hmm. they're on a really good streak right now. I think they're four and one or four and oh in their past five. So yeah, give me the Vikings. I was give, me, give me, give me Kirk, man. You like yeah. that? You like that? <laughs> right. <laughs> that clip always comes out on a, on a big Kirk Cousins <laughs> victory. But um, I, I'll tell you what I liked. I liked your pick last week for, for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota offense moved the ball really well against a good Bears defense. The Bears have have good defense this season. I mean, obviously their offense is abysmal and I, I can't stand them on offense. I mean, I don't know I don't, what they do on offense. It makes no sense. They literally get zero. Allen zero Robinson, yeah, man. I, it makes no sense. They zero. They get zero protect, production out of their offense. They're, I could go on for hours about Chicago and their offensive woes, but uh, I did like how Minnesota moved the ball against their Chicago, that Chicago defense. And so um, if they could move the ball against a top 10 defense or a, yeah, I think Chicago's right around there. Um, defense at, at Minnesota yeah. should be able to move the ball really well against Dallas um, on Sunday. So I like the pick. I think Minnesota minus seven might be a, a decent option here. Um, and like you said, I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure Andy Dolan's the best quarter, best healthy quarterback on this team. I, G- Gilbert looked pretty decent in his matchup against Pittsburgh. And um, I, I mean, really, 
until we see something different out of Dallas, don't assume that we're going to, we're going to see some sort of turnaround. I haven't, I haven't liked what I've seen at all out of Ezekiel Elliott this season. If we didn't, if, if you just took away the names off the back of the jerseys and you just had Tony Pollard, if you compared Tony Pollard to Ezekiel Elliott this season, everybody would tell you that Tony Pollard looks better. looks like the better running back. And so um, Ezekiel Elliott w- will run the ball two or three times and he looks gassed. I mean, Tony Pollard is the only one that shows any sort of explosiveness from that offense. And so Look, I'm, I, until I see something different, I'm not. I, you're right. I'm not going to pick Dallas in this one. I'll I'll go with you, Minnesota minus seven. I'm I'm glad I saw the wheels turning, and slowly I converted you as you, you were speaking. So you there did. we go. You did. All right. Next matchup. This is a this is one that's not up yet. Uh, no lines yet on this one because of the uncertainty. You got uh, Miami at Denver, and uh, the Dolphins looking like the hot one of the hottest teams in the NFL right now. <laughs> Coming into a, a tough matchup against Denver in the Mile High City. I don't know what the weather looks like in this one, so we'll have to keep an eye on that um, just because it, it's about that time of the year where Denver is going to get real cold. Um, but right now there's un- some uncertainty with this matchup because we got Drew Locke, Kyle v- Van Noy, and Noah Fant all didn't practice on Wednesday. Um, so we'll see how that goes and, and how those, those players advance throughout the week. I know this line's not set yet because of the uncertainty with Drew Locke. And so we'll have to see if he plays. Um, but honestly, after the week, um, after last week, I, I had some tough losses in my, in my bets last week, I ended up lo- looking ahead to this week and I saw that this line was set up, uh, Miami minus three. And I hopped on that immediately. I, I got the Mi- Miami minus three, at even odds. And I wish I honestly put more on that bet because I'm loving that one. Looking, looking forward to, to Sunday's matchup here. Yeah, if I if I remember last week, you weren't totally convinced with Miami yet, and I, I was really pushing on them. So I think they really proved themselves in another game that their defense is legit. Tua's going to make smart decisions. He he's not turning the ball over, which I think well, they he did really get lucky. Love. He got lucky on that one throw across the middle. Literally went through the, the Chargers def- the linebackers' hands. You see that? Literally like went right through his hands. But you're right. He, he was even still in in his three games. He makes good. He's been making some good throws. He's he he's improved week to week, which is what you want to see out of your young quarterbacks. And so he he every week he's she's shown a little bit more and, and shown a little bit more improvement each week. And that's exactly what you want to continue to see out of him. Um, Where do you think this line comes out? Um, even look, if Drew Lock is healthy, if Drew Lock plays, I think this is probably gonna be like Miami minus five. Honestly, um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm glad I got Miami minus three, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I honestly could see it going all the way up to minus like eight and a half if Locke is out. The backup situation in Denver is a mess. Ripon came in there. I I don't even know who else they have, but it it was not pretty while Locke was out. And Locke himself looked really bad last week. He's clearly dinged up. So even if he does play, I think he's playing injured. And he was wildly inaccurate. There's no way he's going to be 100% with the the nature of his injury. He has apparently some really bruised up ribs and some swelling Mm -hmm. in his chest areas. And so that doesn't heal right away, you know. If he takes right. a, if he takes a bad hit, he could get knocked out of the game. So you might even, as a gambler, want him to start this game, and then maybe he gets knocked out of the game with that that really tough Miami pass rush. Maybe they get a good hit on him. Maybe he gets knocked out of the game early. So that's a possibility as well. Yeah, I will say I think Noah Fant plays in this game. He didn't practice on Wednesday last week as well. He's kind of doing a load management as he as he plays with a high ankle sprain that he he sat for two weeks with. Um, and he was able to log a limited participant uh, on Thursday last week. So if we're able to see Fant progress to that point tomorrow, I think he starts and you can feel comfortable about having him in your roster. Although I don't love him as an option, considering how dinged up Drew Locke is and how inaccurate he looked. Um, same thing with Jerry G. 
Judy. I think these guys definitely need to be bumped down a few pegs. Yeah, certainly. Um, not much more to say about that matchup. You ready to roll the next one, the last one? Do you mind if we play a little bit of name game, Ben, uh, specifically with Noah Fant? Maybe a guy like Dalton Schultz, if you had to pick between the two some for some reason. I don't know why, but... <laughs> so, in fantasy or what? Or like a real or real fantasy, football? fantasy, yeah. If, fantasy? If you, you know, say you had to start a tight end. Those were your two tight ends. <laughs> I see what you're doing here. I'm not going to get there. Connor, Connor owns both Schultz and Fan in our in our fantasy league, and we're playing each other this week, so he's trying to get an answer out of me. All right, and next I'm totally matchup. tilting next clearly. <laughs> I'm just messing. I don't it's know. It's make that. or break for us. We're we're both right on the edge of the playoffs in that league, so it's a big league. This is it's just too it's too agonizing though. It's like I'm just <laughs> I'm just so ready to lose to you this week. Our projection too is right right even one oh eight one oh eight. Yeah. I've uh, I've been going back and forth on who to start the piece this week because my fantasy team is like I'm so well rounded, but I have no I, the only elite star I have is Tyreek Hill. I don't have anybody that's like a superstar. Like, right. I rely on so many different players to get me points that the risk is just it, it's like I, I'm relying on so many players that have good week that I'm bound to have, get disappointed by a player or two, and that costs me. But um, we'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Tyreek Hill because he he's um, one of the guys in our next matchup and final matchup of the week. We have Kansas City at Las Vegas, KC at minus seven, minus seven and a half. So right around a touchdown. And it's a big revenge game for Patrick Mahomes yeah. and for the Chiefs here after they got stomped by the Raiders uh, a few weeks back. What do you think about this matchup, Ben? KC minus seven might be one of my best bets of the week as well. Um and what one of my reasonings here as well is that basically the entire Vegas defense is on the COVID list right now. So besides, um, I, I I don't know, I don't think they're allowed in the facility at all for like train for physical train like a uh, for them to like uh, get some sort of physical therapy work because uh, they were all basically in close close contact with somebody who had who got had tested positive for COVID. So they're all in quarantine and they have to continue to test negative for them to be able to play. And so I'm not saying they're going to sit out um, and it's possible that at least some of them may, if they test positive, I don't know. Um, But if they all play at the very least, it's like it's days of practice that they're missing. And right. Days of scheming yeah. and all of that, and especially when you're yeah. going against Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, right. with the amount of playmakers and schemes that Andy Reid can draw up. It's a hugely important yeah. week of practice to have. Yeah. And look, if it's just one or two players, sure. I'm not, I'm not going to downgrade it too much, but it literally, it's like, it's like eight, it's like eight guys on the Raiders defense. It's like basically their whole defense. And so the Raiders had a similar situation earlier this season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where basically their entire offensive line had to sit out practice that week. And then I think all of them ended up playing except for maybe Trent Brown or something like that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we handicapped it similarly where we picked the, the, the Buccaneers because the Raiders had a bad COVID week and sure enough, the Buccaneers ended up just romping them in that matchup and we won our bets in that one. And I, I think we're going to see a similar situation here. I think the COVID situation is really going to be bad for the Raiders. And, you know, honestly, I feel bad. I, I, I feel for the Raiders here because they looked good this season. They're, they're a scrappy team and, you know, they're right there on the playoff bubble. I think I honestly, if they make the playoffs, I'm a little nervous about facing them because they, they do a lot of, they do a lot of things well. And, you know, they have a good identity. Finally, we talked about this at least a few times already on the podcast that we have this season, but the Raiders 
are a good reflection of John Gruden and, and the good coaching that John Gruden has been able to implement in Las Vegas. And they really fit the mold of Vegas, like the grit and grime and they're disciplined. They don't get penalized a lot, which is something that you don't really think about when you, when you think of Las Vegas, when you think of at least the Oakland Raiders, they were never disciplined. They were always one of the most undisciplined teams getting into fights, false starts and penalties, delays a game, like just unorganized stuff. And that's not happening this season. We're not seeing that. It's really a good, big credit to John Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders. But, you know, for all these reasons uh, we're talking about with the, with the, with the chiefs and this COVID situation with the Raiders, I really just think this is a trap game for the Raiders. And I, I don't know how they could recover from just all the cards stacked against them in this matchup. And plus we got this whole revenge game for Patrick Mahomes situation where they lost the, the Raiders gave them their only loss in the season so far. And it's an opportunity for the chiefs to really just show them that they're the best team in the NFL or the second best team. It's debatable with the Steelers, but um, really just an opportunity for them to stick it to the team. Now the only, team that beat them so far this year yeah i think this is a chance for mahomes to say that this this game was a fluke uh last time we lost to the raiders and you know knock knock hey i'm still here and i'm still playing like an mvp myself so why don't you guys remember that uh here's five touchdowns have fun right i mean and mahomes loved the limelight too so he he always plays well on monday night football and stuff and big games so uh i, I really do like the chiefs minus seven to up to minus seven and a half or so here um in this one all right, that's going to do it here for our week. What week are we in? 11? Yeah, I week know. 11. I know, dude. This season has been flying by, it feels like. Uh, we got some playoff pictures kind of starting to shape out. Uh, some matchups kind of uh, to keep an eye on this week. Some really good ones, I think. A good slate of games. And um, really, what I really enjoy is we're able to, I feel, I feel like, analyze these games a lot better with how many more games are getting under our belt. And really the COVID season it just proved, has proved so unpredictable that the more stats that we're seeing, I think that we're able to make better educated guesses on in terms of what's going to be going down each week. And we should, we should continue to improve in that sense, I think, in terms of our handicapping. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, we learn a lot about how COVID is impacting teams. Like you brought up the Raiders, for example, and because we do have that data point, it becomes more predictive in the future, looking at the Kansas city game. And so if we're able to draw um, examples like that out and predict moving forward, we're going to continue being accurate. And I think our our performance so far has showed that. I had a big brain fart. So the the, uh, the Vegas Chiefs game is, I believe, Sunday night. The Monday night game, I had a brain fart. I, I missed it on our notes. It's the the Rams versus the Buccaneers. That's the game of the week. The Rams versus the Bucks. And so we uh, we got a good game on Monday night. Uh, the Rams are are going into Tampa Bay. The Bucks are favored by four points. Do you have any initial thoughts on that? <laughs> Two really strong defenses. Right. Um, Great game. I can't wait to watch Aaron Donald try to get to Tom Brady. That's the only way you can kind of have the Bucks falter is if you're able to pressure Brady. Otherwise, when given time, we saw what he was able to do last week with those weapons on offense. You know, Gronk, Evans, Godwin, Brown, they all played well. They all were productive. Mm-hmm. You know, three of them had a touchdown. But you go back a couple of weeks before and the saints in camp Jordan, they were getting in Brady's face and incompletions. He was inaccurate. He didn't have the time to let these guys get their routes and let him run open. So the Rams definitely have the recipe to challenge the Buccaneers. I don't think this is one where I feel super confident being in on the bucks and, and yeah. riding the Tom Brady wave. The Rams are really frisky and they performed well this season. It's a great game. The question is, 
Goff, does he play well in the limelight? Yeah. We've seen him falter in big situations. Well, he kind of Bucks, has that Kirk Cousins effect and in the running game for the Rams. Can they figure out who, who's going to lead that backfield? Yeah, the Bucks defense is uh, the most, uh, the, they, they blitz the most in the NFL this year. So I don't love Goff's outlook for this week. And so that's my biggest worry, like you said, for the Rams. Um, but like you said, the, uh, the Rams defense is nothing to scoff at. They look great against Seattle last week. I do lean Tampa Bay, but that minus four is a tough one because this feels like a field goal game either way. Um, Tampa Bay uh, had a big statement win last week, recovering from that miserable Saints loss. But the Rams had a very emotional win against Seattle last week. That was the game of the year for them, basically, so far this season. You know, they had that circled on their calendar for weeks going into that one, and that was their big statement win. Um, we'll see if there's kind of a dip in their emotional kind of output in this one because it's possible that we see that they just kind of they made it they they accomplished their their feet last week and we'll see if there's any sort of dip in energy against this bucks team and i honestly lean that way i lean bucks minus four but the the spread's tough because this feels like a close matchup because both teams have similar uh they're both very effective on defense and so we'll see if the offenses are able to be effective against these two teams because it's uh, it's it's not an easy feat for to move the ball against either of these two deep defenses. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you caught this game. This, this is going to be a fun one to watch on Monday. Yeah, I can't believe I had a little brain fire on that one. So <laughs> I missed it. All right, that's going to do it here for our Week 11 analysis on our and our matchups against the spreads. Um, like we said, I I like um, I like the Chargers minus eight and a half. I like the Chiefs minus seven. Um, any other picks you want to recommend? Uh, just the, the Vikings and the Chiefs as well. Okay, cool. All right, that's going to do it here for episode 48 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Connor, thanks again for coming on the podcast with me, buddy. Absolutely, man. It's great to be here. And uh, everybody, make sure to tune in for our, our DFS segment that we'll, we'll post uh, later on in the week. Uh, once we have a little bit more clarity on some of these injuries and, you know, we're able to see who's going to be able to start on Sunday. Yeah, DFS is best to wait until Sunday morning, late Saturday night. So, you know, who's in, who's out, kind of uh, base your your picks on the most up-to-date information possible. So we're going to try to get that out to you um, this weekend and uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, vicious talk with Benny P on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts. It's on all the major platforms, wherever you listen to Um, also follow all things analysis on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Um, go to our website, check out allthingsanalysis.com. You could subscribe to catch any of the new articles and podcasts we post on there. We got a lot in the works here at ATA. We're excited about the future of our company. And we are actually reachable too on social media. So you will get a response from an actual analyst if you DM us, unlike a lot of other analytical accounts. So make (laughs) sure we we love interacting. If you guys want to send us questions, we, we are happy to respond. Definitely. All right, Connor. I appreciate it, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Benny boy. Good night. All right. Night.